hopefully everybody has had a chance to get a, a quick refreshment. Um, Bim, a few good answers there. So let's uh, let's try and speak to somebody. Um, I'm not sure what your name is because it's just the initials, but it, it was it looks it looks like a fantastic answer. So EU. Can you hear us? Can you unmute yourself? Yeah. Oh, hi. Blit, how are you? Hi. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, good. What's your name? Um, DK. Oh, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Um, I really just could you just reiterate your answer? Just tell us your answer again to the question. Oh. I was asking the question actually. Oh, I think the connection. I think the connection's a bit too bad. So we'll 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 leave that one, and then we will go. Uh, let's go to Ellen. Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Can you hear us? Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ellen. Nice to see you, hear you again. You OK? I'm very well, and you? <laughs> good yeah, to see you. Very good. Very good. So the question was, what needs to be in place for you to take an opportunity? And you put country football roadmap. So just expand on that for us a little bit. Yeah, you got to. OK, first of all, you got to understand what is the country all about? What is it they want to achieve? Do they have the roadmap? Sometimes it's all about the total attract investors through football. Sometimes it's all about attract investors in football. So if they have the roadmap like that, you know how to set it up. You know how to which, which clubs to attract. Let's say if you want to partner with these countries, let's say let's say if it is Arsenal, they want to partner like Rwanda, like what Rwanda did. It was they had a roadmap which they wanted uh, to attract investors. So it's the roadmap of the country which you need first to know what, what exactly do they what, what, what exactly are they looking for? Uh, Johnny, what do you think to Ellen's point there? Yeah, I think it's you know it's very to the point. Um, one of the things that you know when we come on to my five list of five things, one of them is alignment that I always say. And so aligning with what there's me on one side and there's the country or the team, the club on the other side. And so that roadmap, as Ellen has sort of put it, where do they want to go? Where are they now? Where do they want to go? And is there alignment between what I want to do, how I would do things, and what that entity either are currently doing or aspire to do in the future? And if you don't have alignment in these things, because it's all well and good there being a country football roadmap, they might have the best roadmap in the world, but it might not align to me as a professional in terms of the direction I would go with it. Mm. And so that lack of alignment would then mean it's not an opportunity we should maybe pursue. So I think, yes, them having an idea of what they want or where they want to go is key, but then also taking that further and saying, is there a real authentic alignment between yourself and that roadmap? Because if there's not an alignment, doesn't matter how much money they throw at it or how many good wishes and hopes they have for the future. Yep. If you don't see that alignment, you're going to hit some pretty big potholes pretty quickly. Do you agree with that, Ellen? 
Yes, I do agree, hundred <laughs> percent. Brilliant. Thanks for being on the call, Alan. Really, really okay. nice to nice to nice <laughs> to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, let's just take one more quickly. Uh, let's uh, again. It's uh, it's um, CR. Um, are you there? Hi. 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 How are you? Good. How's it going? I'm going very well. What's your name? Can you hear yeah. us okay? I don't think so. It's a bit static. Okay, fantastic. You, you, I, mine's not great, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put I'm just gonna say to Johnny what your answer was, and it was um, sincerity, having the you, the cards open and on on the table, seriousness, uh, timing, intellectual approach, motivation, and money not being the main priority, which which all sound like reasonable decisions to take. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um... And look, ultimately, the key thing for a lot of these things is there's no one right answer in terms of what your list of things should be. Because in the same way that I'm saying when I'm dealing with individuals and players and staff, I need to find out about who they are, what's important to them, what their circumstances are. It's also the same for all of us. We all have our own list of things, but it's about knowing them. And I think that's the process, really, I would invite everyone to go through, is what is it that's important for you to make those steps and know them? Because see if you don't know them, see if you haven't written them down somewhere or at least have them written in here, then when you're having these discussions, and you got to remember, football discussions move at Formula One pace. I have never been in negotiations for a job longer than definitely not longer than a week. And it might be not longer than five days. So from first contact to signing a contract, you're under a week. So if you don't know what your three things, five things, 10 things, whatever they are, if you don't know them ahead of time, there's a real chance you could make a bad decision given the pressure and the speed at which new opportunities come up and need to be decided on. So, um, Johnny, you, you talked about these five these five rules that, that, that you have. You've on a couple there, but, you, you know, what are the five for you? Yeah, so for me, um, they're really quite simple and straightforward. So the first one we've already talked about is, is there alignment? So just to refresh on that, it's alignment. The club or federation will have a very clear picture of where they are now and potentially where they want to be in the future. And for me, I always say who I am as a person, how I work, how I want to play football, how I want to operate on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm looking for at least 70% alignment either with what the club or federation are today or where they aspire to be. If there's only 40 or 50% alignment today, but they have genuine aspirations for there to be more alignment, then that's okay. So that's number one. Uh, number two is what does success look like? So success for Manchester City is obviously winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League. We know what success looks like. But what does success look like for the Rwanda national team? What does success look like for a team in the USL, a team in League Two in England? What does success look like? And is that acceptable to you? You know, if you get that success, will you be happy with it in your global career perspective? Um, number three, 
what is their contribution to the process? So the employers, because I'll tell you now, a lot of employers, a lot of clubs, their contribution to the process is they're hiring you. Yeah. And that's not enough if you want to get that success most of the time. You know, I used to joke that my nickname should be Harry Potter. All of our nicknames should be Harry Potter because they think we have a magic wand <laughs> and change things. Um, but what is their contribution to the process? And again, is that acceptable to you? What they say their contribution is? Um, where will success take you? So if you go and you achieve all of the things, What's the next step? You know, where do you go? Where can, will you go to a World Cup? Can you maintain it there? If you win trophies at that club, will you get an opportunity on coaching a better league in a better situation? Where does the success that you've identified what it looks like, where does it take you? And again, is that acceptable? And then the final thing for me is, you know, my partner and my dog, you know, it's like, you know, can the dog travel to that country and will she be okay with it? Um, as you know in terms of that you know so that's not that's just a very personal thing for me and I have that sort of at number five and at number one because the first when I know that I'm going to be talking to a club or federation seriously my first email is to the international dog transport company saying how much to take a golden retriever <laughs> to this country and how much does shipping cost for him to come and how frequently are the flights etc cetera, etc cetera, and all you know so even before i've had the first serious conversation wow. i send the email to find out if the dog can come um so yeah things like that but yeah and like i'd said to you off the line like my list here i got during this time since i've left uganda i got made a fantastic offer to go back and work in asia alignment the club were really ambitious the way i wanted to work would fit in lovely we felt you know i knew what success would look like in terms of they were putting the money in success was winning the league success was qualifying for the afc champions league and um, what was their contribution going to be it was going to be significant they were going to put big resources in to winning the league title and all of this and um, the dog could travel really easily i knew all of this and um, my partner was happy with the location, et cetera. But then it came down to where did success take us? And I looked at it, I thought, you know what? A, I think it's quite difficult to win the league because the league they're in is a bit like Scotland where it's basically like taking on Hibs or Hearts and trying to win the league with them. Yeah. Um, very difficult. So you might not ever get there. You can have a crack, but you might not ever get there. But even if you did win the league in that country, where would it take you to? And I just wasn't convinced it would take me anywhere significant. And I also knew that I didn't want to spend 20 years in that position. That was going to be a position for three or five years at most. And so I just didn't know where it would take me afterwards. And so it fell down. And genuinely, that club made a fantastic offer. But I had to say, I don't know where this takes me. And if I don't know where it takes me, then I don't know if I'll be able to sustain my personal motivation throughout the years that it will take to bring the success we want. And so it wouldn't be good for me or the club to take the job. Hey, good stuff, Johnny. We'll go back to Rwanda, um, if I may, because uh, you know to get to your level, you have to work extremely hard, have a real high level of commitment. And while you were manager of Rwanda, you were doing your UEFA Pro license in Northern Ireland, I believe. So. How on earth did that work? 
Um, I am very fortunate that international football coaches get paid reasonably well, um, is the honest answer. And that me completing my pro license cost 150% of the cost of the pro license um, in flights to go, 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 because you have to go. You can't skip days. With your pro license, you simply must turn up. And it's for one day. It's like you've got to turn up in Belfast for a five-hour football analysis class. So there were days when, and actually for that one, I bring that one up specifically because I remember leaving Kigali and getting into Dublin on Friday night at around 9 p.m. at night, hiring a car, driving up north, stayed with my family. Saturday morning, 9 a.m., was in the classroom in Belfast. 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. football analysis session. Then after the class, didn't even go home, drove back to Dublin airport and got on the evening flight out. Um, I was in the country for about, I don't know, 22 hours um, to go and How do a class. Pardon? How long's the flight? Uh, about 15 hours. Ryanair, Ryanair, Johnny. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, <laughs> All right, okay. but, um, but yeah, so I had to fly back and forth a lot. Um, my air miles, I, the one benefit of it was I think I got up to gold status with KLM or something like that over Quality. the course of those 18 months. But um, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of sort of red eye flights. But ultimately, again, I was very, very fortunate in that I got to a level of the game where, you know, you were getting a reasonable sort of compensation for doing your job. Mm. So you've done your pro license, you've finished in Rwanda, and then you're into club management. You're into club management. You're, you're out of Africa. You're out of Africa, but, you know, in Lithuania and Bangladesh, you know, that's... I guess you're sort of armed from your experience in Africa, how to combat, you know, the different challenges that they brought. Yeah, it was for me, moving into club management was always, you know, part of the journey and really quite interesting, you know, two countries that, you know, the setup in Lithuania, I really loved, you know, the clubs were very professionally run. They, the facilities were really good. You know, even for us, our training ground, we had two floodlit grass pitches for the first team. We had the training center, the gym, the dressing rooms, the nice. office. Um, it was a really nice setup. The pitches were fantastically maintained and it was a really nice setup from the club. And so really super professional. But then Eastern Europe and Lithuania in particular is a very low income country. And so, you know, at the time, a good player in the Lithuanian Premier League was maybe only earning like a thousand euros a month, which was twice what someone in a supermarket's earning. So it's a good salary. It's a very good salary for the country. But when you're trying to sign players from other countries, it becomes very difficult because, and even if you're signing someone directly out of maybe an African league, the agents and everyone around it look at it and go, oh, a thousand euros a month, that's not professional. But you're going, well, it's double the salary in this country. It's double the average wage of the country. And it's a, it's a springboard league to go on. And, you know, our greatest success in doing that was we signed a young 18-year-old from Nigeria called Terem Moffi. And anyone who knows their football, um, you know, he, he's one of the top strikers in Ligue 1 in France. Um, he finished with, I think, second or third top goal scorer last season. 
and um, cracking young player. And I think his, his transfer value is about 20 million euros now. So we got that right in terms of bringing Tarem in. But, and then we went to Bangladesh. And Bangladesh, again, as a country, people would think, oh, football in Bangladesh. But then you go there and facilities were a bit of a challenge. The training ground wasn't fantastic. We were playing in an old stadium, which I quite liked for the, I'm a bit of a football romantic playing in these old, you know, stadiums that have been renovated a little bit, but still hark back 50 years. So I quite like that from sort of a football, just a lover of the game and the history of the game. But you go there and then you find that the Bangladeshi players are earning between two and $4,000 a month. And the foreign players, the highest paid foreign player in the league at the time, not at our team, I hasten to add, was on over $20,000 a month. And you're sort of thinking, here's a league where the majority or at least the top half of the league, all of the, the team's budgets are between half a million and $2 million a season for salaries. And you suddenly think you would never think that about a country like Bangladesh. You'd sort of think, oh, really? But then you suddenly find that the salaries for players are more than half of the European Premier Leagues. So it takes you to scratch a little bit under the surface to see what these countries' football profile is actually like. And, you know, again, fantastic experiences to go in, very different from each other and definitely very different than international management. So, so after Bangladesh, Johnny, it was back to uh, Africa and international football with the Ugandan Cranes. So I would imagine this was a, a role with different expectations and different pressures compared to the previous two roles in Africa. Yeah, um, it was one of those roles, again, I was very happy in Bangladesh, was all prepped. Uh, Pre-season training had just started. We were getting prepped for a title run. We, we felt we could compete for the championship and qualify for the AFC competitions. But then this offer sort of came out of the blue a little bit. I, I'd been a very close run thing to the Uganda job a few years earlier. I'd sort of got down to the final two before the previous coach to me had been appointed. And then when it came up again, someone reached out to me and really, look, you look at the profile of the Ugandan team, you look at the direction they were going in. And for me, it was just one of those things you couldn't turn down. Um, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about any of these things. It was purely, this is a great group of players. You know, we had one of the best players in Africa and Dennis Onyango, our captain, the Mamalui Sundowns uh, goalkeeper um, to work with. And, you know, we had some top, top players and top young players I felt coming through. And it was just one that you couldn't turn down. And like I said before, what environment are they going to be screaming at you if you lose football matches? What environment are you going to be under huge pressure if you drop points? And I just thought, yeah, Uganda is going to be a pressurized environment, yes, but it's that's where you've got to go if you want to grow, if you want to go somewhere in this game. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that... Uh really struck me about you know the Ugandan job is that you, you won almost 70% of your games, didn't you? Um, and then did you top the group or you were top of the group in the qualifying for the African Cup of Nations finals? I mean, uh, you know, I followed your career, Johnny, since we met in, uh, in Amsterdam a few years ago on a Raymond course. And, you know, it really surprised me because every time I looked, you were winning games, you were winning games, winning games, and then uh, Coach McKinstry has moved on. Yeah. Um, so I think really with Uganda, it comes down to that sort of first point I said about taking jobs. Is there an alignment 
either currently or aspirationally. Now, historically, over the last 20 years, probably, Uganda have had a very on-brand type of football. It's been quite physical. It's been quite direct. Um, the previous coach had definitely started the move to trying to play a little aspirationally to try and pass the ball a little bit more, be a bit more in possession, a bit more modern, if you want to use that term in terms of the style of football. And aspirationally it was there, but then you look at the statistics from the African Cup of Nations and you know more long balls than any other team in the tournament, more turnovers of possession. So still a very direct team. Um, in a sense, whereas I was coming in and the aspirations for the federation, and even when you looked at their youth development model that they created in their football departments about wanting to be, yes, an aggressive pressing team to go and get after games, very much in the Borussia Dortmund, Red Bull, Liverpool, you know, Leeds United form of play. And that's what I wanted to do with the team as well. That's what I felt was possible, but it wasn't where they were in that moment where they were in that moment was a low to medium block defense sitting behind the ball when it playing the counter attack try and play quite direct football and so we went in and did fantastically well in the first 12 months um i think we played like in our first 12 games we won 11 drew one and won the east african championship with a 100 percent record um and we were sitting yes yeah, second in our qualifying group but I just, in the process of moving from a direct football team to a more possessive based team, there's a bit of pain that goes through. Some of the favorites get left out. Some of, it looks a bit clunky at times, because remember it's international football. It's not club football where you've got six weeks of a preseason and you can periodize everything. You've got like three days here, two days there, five days there. So it can look a bit clunky at times. And ultimately I think it got to the point where they didn't want it to look clunky and weren't, weren't willing to be patient anymore. And, and ultimately came to me and it was, I was on holiday in Dubai at the time. Um, and it was only a few weeks out before our final qualifying games for the African Cup of Nations. And they approached me and said, look, we'd like to discuss going separate, going our separate ways. We, we don't feel we do want to go in this direction anymore. And so look, it was very professional. We had the conversations. We tried to resolve it. It wasn't possible, and we all agreed to go our separate ways. It was fine. But now you look, and they've went back, and look, I, the current coach is a friend of mine, um, but he is, he won't mind me saying, he is quite a direct football guy. You know, he's a pragmatist of the game. He is quite low block, play quite direct at the physical guys on the pitch. So they've went back to that. So aspirationally, I but, and it's not that I believe they were, saying something they didn't believe when we were having those conversations at the beginning. I believe they wanted to do it, but maybe not appreciating that it would take time to do it and that there's a little bit of suffering that has to be, has to occur in order to climb the mountain and, and look, these things happen in football. That's fine. And we move on. Mm. What lessons did you learn in that experience, then, in terms of managing up, you know, it's not just players that you're, you're dealing with, is it? It's the executives of the generations, you know. Have you what have you learned about managing up in that respect? Do you know? I think 
for me, it's about how wide do you cast that net? Because even as we speak right now, I think my relationship with the president of the Federation in Uganda and the chief executive of the Federation, basically my relationship with anyone who was in the office every day is still very good. We'll still exchange WhatsApp messages, you know, et cetera. However, there is also an entire level of people around the game at international level who aren't in the office every day. They're like the suits and blazers. They're the people who have influence, but you never really meet them. You might see them at, a, at an event, but otherwise they're working. They're a businessman or you know a businesswoman and they're working at the other end of the country. They own a football club, but they also happen to maybe sit on the board of directors for the federation. And it's how do you build relationships with those people? Because if they don't know me and don't really know what I'm trying to do um, in a tangible way, then it's very easy for them to get nervous as the process is occurring. Whereas the people in the room, I just feel everyone, we maintain really good relationships. But yeah, I just think. It, they decided the direction we'd set off on wasn't actually the direction they wanted to go in the end. And that's fine. People are allowed to change their minds and everything was done very professionally and uh, contractually, all of those things were all handled at an A star level. So not a problem. So I mean, the, the relationships with the, the federations and the, you know, the suits and blazers are, are very important, Johnny, but also the media as well. I mean, what was your strategy when you went to, into a new role, an international manager? How did you build connections with the media there? You know, um, I'm just incredibly honest, um, almost to a fault, I think, and I'll, I'll answer any question. Um, and if I, if I can't give an answer to a question, I won't make something up. I'll simply say to someone, Spencer, I'm sorry, I'm, I can't answer that for you today. Um, and it's funny, actually, the, the Ugandan FA president once said to me, he's like, in a, one of our own meetings, he said to me, he's like, Johnny, you're too honest for your own good. Was like, you know, you just, you just tell people what's in your head. And I'm like, that's fine, because then I never have to remember what I've said to people. You know, because it's what I genuinely believe. And now what sometimes people will bring up is, oh, that's not what you said before. And you're sure saying, well, because I've changed my mind on that topic, you know, it's okay. As I've just said about a federation or a club changing their mind, you know, all of us are entitled to change our mind. So for me, I was always very open with media and journalists. Um, I would try and give them as much time as possible. But I was also very clear to them. I'd sort of say, look, I can give you 30 minutes. I can give you an hour so that when it's getting close to it and saying, right, we have to wrap this up. They know it's not like me trying to get out of the room. It's ahead of time. This is what I can allocate you today because I do have other stuff to do. And um, so just being very upfront with people, being understanding that they've got a job to do. But also, you know, like I wasn't, it didn't happen so much in Uganda, but like I remember if people are saying things that weren't accurate, I would even in press conferences, I'd be like, you know, that isn't actually what was said. That's what you said, not what I said, you know, so make sure what goes in the quotation marks is accurate. Um, and so, but again, if you're, if you're upfront with people and genuine, I think the relationships grow quite sort of organically. You know, Jay, what's like abundantly clear and it, it you know comes through on the on the call tonight is 
like clearly your love of, 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 of the game and you know you've got these opportunities uh, really quite a sort of tender tender age really you know some young a young young age and that is a real inspiration I think that um, everybody trying to develop as 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 a as a coach um, uh, what pieces of advice would you give to coaches um, as they look to forge a career in the game and I'm going to crowbar a question in from the audience uh, as well in in you know how old were you when you started coaching as well so I probably took my first coaching session when I was or part of a coaching session when I was 15 as part of my work experience. I did my work experience at high school at the Irish FA. So the week where you go around primary schools and whatnot. And I just enjoyed it and went that summer when I was 16 and did the precursors. They weren't level one and level two then. They were something else. But, you know, and just started on the journey. And in terms of the advice, just coach as much as you possibly can. Um, there is no replacement to coaching as many times as you can and messing up as many times as you will and fixing it and figuring out what works. Look, I have coached. Uh, one of the things I'm really actually most proud of is I have coached at every level of the game. I've coached the six-year-olds on Sunday morning at the rugby club. I've coached girls. I've coached boys. I've coached primary school. I've coached academy. I've coached university players. I've coached amateur adults. I've coached professional club. I've coached professional international teams. You know, I've done the entire spectrum of it. And, you know, just to go out and coach, even when I was between jobs um, a few years ago, I just went and was coaching 10 and 12-year-olds. I'm not asking for anything for it because I just loved coaching. And look, it's great to go and do your coaching badges. It's great if you can go and do some of these courses universities are offering now. Mm. But I'll tell you, and I see a lot of CVs come across my desk. If you introduced me to a 24-year-old who had his bachelor's degree in football coaching and his UEFA B license, which I know a lot of universities do that now. You can yep. do a course and do your B license, but he'd only done a small amount of coaching. Or you introduced me to someone who'd spent the previous four years in the United States or somewhere doing 25 hours a week of coaching at all levels of the game. Oh, wow. Like give me the coaching experience any day of the week. Um, but that's not to say you can't do both. Um, again, maybe I was very fortunate in what fell my way, but when I was at university, I had three coaching jobs. I was doing football in the community for Newcastle United. I was doing the university team. I was coaching them and I was coaching an under 16 boys team. So every week I was at university for 15 hours a week, but I was also doing 12 to 15 hours on the pitch as well every week. And so it is possible to have both, but don't forego practical coaching opportunities thinking that a certificate is going to get you a job in football. You've got to be able to be out there with people and learning how to communicate because coaching is communication. And in terms of that, John, obviously, you know, the, the more hours on the grass, the better in terms of developing as a coach. How important is building a network? Yeah, I think it is very important. And I think it's key how you build the network. And I've learned this over the years. Um, in my early years, my network building skills were not great. I am not the natural you know, person to walk into a room of nobody I know and go up and start talking to people. 
If you see me at a conference and I don't know anybody, I'll be the guy stood in the corner checking what the cheese and ham sandwiches are like. Whereas if I went with someone else and you introduce me to people and say, oh, this is Johnny, then I'll talk to everybody until they tell me to go home. Yeah. But the introduction is not always the most natural to me. Now, when I started my coaching badges, I did my B license when I was 18. I did my A license when I was 24. I was the youngest on those courses by a decade and a half on each course. And so I really didn't network on them. I went, I did the courses, I had fun. I got the badges, but did I maintain those relationships afterwards? No, because these guys were 35, 40, and I was 24. Whereas now, having done my pro license, having done my football management diploma with the LMA, yes, there's a wide range of ages, but they're my peers now. They're the guys who are also managers and coaches, and so I've made a real effort to develop those relationships. But the other thing I would say is, don't wait until you're out of work looking for a job to network because people just look at it and see it. I think at least half of the time is disingenuous. Yep. It's like, Oh, you're only contacting me because you're looking a job. Whereas if I'm in work, if I'm the coach of the Uganda national team, et cetera, then, and I'm doing networking then I'm not doing it for that day. I'm doing it for five years down the line where that person might be a sporting director or whatever it is, and I can give them a call on that relationship that was developed years earlier, you know, bears fruit down the line. So networking needs to be a, a continuous process and not just something you do when you're looking for a job. And you mentioned as well, John, you know, that the conferences that you go to, they're great opportunities, aren't they? Uh, you know, where football people are to build those connections. Yeah, 100%. And look, my advice, and I do it all the time, is you just basically walk over and start talking to people. And it is tough. And I, I'm not the natural at doing it. I'm always like going, oh, I'm not sure. But it's just over, hand out. Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Johnny. This is, you know, and just start. Um, and it isn't, it's, you know, so in that sense, I'm a bit introverted. You know, we're not just, you know, but when I get started, you know, if I was a Formula One racer, I would be at the back of the pack at the first corner. Mm -hmm. But I think by the time we get to the end, I'd be I'd be challenging for a podium in terms nice. of my networking skills in person. <laughs> How long until you get a picture of the Labrador out? That's what I want to know. When you meet someone, is it not long? Um, it's well, I don't know. Like. Winston probably doesn't come up in too many conversations. I sort of again let them bring it out. Um, <laughs> people, I don't know, dogs don't come up too much. Or maybe it's it, it's if you're out of work, what are you doing at the minute? And you're like going, you know, trying to keep up with the dog for you know several miles a day. That's how you know. Right, a couple of quick questions before we get into the um, uh, the last stages. Um, kind of touched on this um in terms of uh, the Ugandan uh, experience but do you ask you know how do you try and implement a playing philosophy to a new team that's got a totally different view of of, of football so it kind of didn't work out in in that respect but um in terms of oh, the hierarchy feeling that that wasn't the direction that they wanted to end up at but how did what what were the actual strategies that you used to take them from a particular type of football into into a new type of football 
Well, so I think it begins with that sort of initial conversations, the aspirational thing, because mm. if people aren't on board, there's no point going into a job where they want A and you're, they want A and you're selling them B. Um, including, including the players, eh? Yeah, that's it. And so, but with the players, I think, look, in essence, we were going in and doing, we, we the change we were looking to make was a very positive change in the sense we want them to have more touches on the ball. We want yep. them to have more possession. We want to create more chances, et cetera, et cetera. So that in essence is an easier sell. If you were going into a situation and saying, right, we want to sit in a low block, we want yeah. to have 10% possession. I think that's a harder sell for people because it's less enjoyable in the way you train it. So when you go in with a more positive football sort of methodology and training is quite enjoyable and i think that's the key to it is is showing players how it helps them improve not just as a team but as individuals because whether we like it or not um a lot of footballers want to know how they can succeed as much as they're worried about how a team can succeed and what their numbers will be and so showing them where they fit into the overall picture and how they can develop and, and look, it's just about making sure training, trying to do as much of your talking and educating in the classroom or on video so that when you get out on the training pitch, you're not having to stand around a lot. That training is fast, it's sharp, it's intense, it's hard work, but it's enjoyable at the same time. And that draws people in because, you know, that's what players love to do if that's the type of training ground environment. So... I think tying all of that in. And, and look, I think for us in Uganda, we made big strides. I said, we won the East African Championship. That's primarily your players that are based in country, who you spend a lot more time with. And they got it down to a T. So we converted a classic number 10 into a number six, a holding midfielder for the national team. Um, and people were like, when well, you're crazy. But we knew if we wanted to play this progressive passing style of football, we needed a Pirlo. We needed, you know, someone at the base of the diamond in midfield. And it worked fantastically with the players we had more contact with. But the guys who we only had limited contact with who were playing all over the world and who had ultimately had success in a more low block defensive direct football, that was a slower changed impact and was happening slowly and surely, but maybe it needed a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so what's next for Johnny McKinstry then? What's on the horizon? Do you know, you could ask me that every Monday for a month and it would be a different answer every week. And mm. um, like even just today, I had a really interesting phone call about a club in a big club in Asia and who are looking for a coach and my profile is very aligned to the profile they're looking for. And so we're seeing what that might, what legs that might have. That'll probably be tomorrow or the next 48 hours. We might find something out about that. Visiting with clubs in Europe at the minute who are thinking of making a change at the end of the season. And um, there's also some stuff happening out in the USA. And so it really is, you know, there's even stuff happening in Southern Africa. Um, club-wise, they're coming towards the end of the season and there's some clubs have shown a little bit of interest in, in having a chat. So you know, it could be Asia, it could be Europe, it could be America, it could be Africa. Um, but these things, you know, and in a week's time, it could be Australia, it could be South America, because, and people know this when they're involved in the pro game, is that things appear 
and they either it's like a flicker of an ember it either catches fire and becomes something very big or it dies immediately um and yeah so eager to get going again um but equally enjoying the time off talking to people like yourselves and and yeah but we're ready to go when 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 the grass is ready to have me back on it the boots are polished and ready to go wow. that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, Johnny, do you use an agent? I not officially. Um, so I have what I would say is good respectful relationships with I would say four different people. Um, all of them in different parts of the world. One is in the Americas, one is in Africa, one is in Europe, and another one is in Asia. And equally, they know me. If they come up. I think one of them is still at the stage where if he has a position for me, he'll ask me to sign a bit of paper before he actually tells me too much about it. But the rest of them, just our relationships go back a number of years. And so they know that if, if something they put on the table ends up leading somewhere, that they'll get their cut of the cake um, if it happens. But I will have to say, every position I've got to date, none of them have been presented to me by the agent. My five pro jobs have all come in different ways, not through agents. I've just seen some suggestions pop up, Johnny. One is uh, the manager of Nigeria, and then we've got one that said Queen of the South. So quite yeah. you know, diverse there. Which, uh, you know, the funny, the funny thing is as well, Spencer, is I have been in consideration for both of those jobs in the past. Wow, <laughs> listen, listen. We, well, we're, we're definitely on 10% then, Spencer. Oh, if, yeah, if yeah, we'll, comes on. we'll be agent number five. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, I think we're at, I think we're at the end finally bit, aren't we, Spencer? So we I think it's been fantastic to 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 hear from you. There's been loads of for me some really practical advice um, uh, for anybody considering uh, taking uh, an opportunity anywhere um, in in the world, even domestically. I think there's so much that people can take away. Um, uh, from tonight, but have you got any sort of final comment um, that would be um, advice to, 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 to coaches looking to improve um, and forge a career in the game? Yeah, I just think, you know, there's, there's so many sort of setbacks in football that you can't let it sort of get to you. Know who you are and be willing to evolve. Like I said, go out and coach as much as possible, but, you know, and, but just enjoy it. I think that's the key thing is, look, football for me, yes, it can be stressful at times, but it's never stressful when I'm out on the pitch with the players. Yeah. Out on the pitch with the players is my safe place. I love it. I genuinely, there's nothing better than being out on, I still love, there, people find this odd. There's two smells I love most in the world. One is freshly cut grass when you're walking out and it's just been watered. And I think all of us in football would agree on that. The other one, which maybe puts me in a slightly niche column is the smell of brand new football boots. Um, you know, just that smell of inside the boot before they've been worn. Um, I just, you know, these things, the start of pre-season and, yeah, so enjoy the game, enjoy coaching, enjoy working with people, enjoy and laugh about the mistakes where you can, because we make thousands of them. <laughs> we make so many of them. Um, just make sure we get it right more than we get it wrong. Fantastic. Well, it's been really enjoyable. As I say, for me, it's been one of the most 
practical sessions that we've done on the coach's corner. Um, my my page is full of notes here that I know that I'm I'm going to take away. So, uh, Johnny, um, really, really appreciate um, your time, and we really look forward uh, to see see where where it is going to be next. Um, so we'll certainly see that. Uh, Spencer, um, do you want to share with everybody who we've got joining us next month? Absolutely. Well, uh, again, thanks, Johnny. So, some really good points as well, you know, from at the top of the show, where you're speaking about Red Bull and the human element and how they're supporting. I think that's a great lesson for, for any organisation, not just in football, uh, to follow. And, and really one thing that um, really struck me is a level of commitment. Uh, you know, being in Rwanda, flying back 15 hours to your UEFA Pro Licence, six hours in, in Northern Ireland, back again. And I think that really... Uh, so as the coaches listening tonight, you know, that's a level of commitment if you're going to be a top operator uh, like Johnny. But next month, so uh, we have a, a, well, a current sporting director, I believe, uh, Ryan, uh, somebody who is probably well known in football, uh, Steve Walsh, who was the head of recruitment when Leicester City famously won the Premier League. And then he went on to be sporting director at Everton. And Steve's played a big part uh, in the formation of Charlotte, the newest MLS club. So we'll welcome Steve next month and that is on the monday the 16th of may um 7 30 p.m start so when this podcast goes out from tonight it's probably about friday so i think ryan yeah uh, we'll give ben a bit of a kick and uh, get it out for the weekend um and then obviously the uh, the booking details and the registration will be on that email with this podcast so thank you ever so much for attending tonight thank you for the questions and again a huge thanks johnny for giving us your time good evening everybody Take care. Thanks.